Taking years to write a book is so last century. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill. I help aspiring authors move toward their dreams of career authordom by mastering their story, mastering their words, and mastering their marketing. If you're ready to put your head down and do the work necessary to eventually live off your fiction royalties, then tune in each week. I'll give you actionable tips and hacks, as well as inspiring interviews with writers who are already doing this. We are prolific authors. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast, where we talk about all things having to do with creating a sustainable author business. Today, I have a really fun interview for you with Amanda Warren, who is a fantasy author. So she's kind of a gal after my own heart. I write in high fantasy, too, and we had a really fun talk, and it's she's got a lot of real gems that I'm excited for you guys to hear. Uh, before we do that, though, let's take care of some housekeeping. First of all, I want to apologize for my last podcast, which had a lot of microphone feedback on it. I'm so sorry about that. I didn't even realize it when I posted it, or I would have tried to fix that. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to go back and re-record that or not. I need to listen to the whole thing and see how bad it is. Uh, so I, I don't know. I might re-record it this weekend. Um, and replace it, but that had a lot of downloads, so I'm kind of loath to actually just take it down. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this way later and uh, after it was posted and there's no feedback there, then that probably means I re-recorded it. And if it is there, then I decided not to. <laughs> I just haven't actually made a decision yet. Um, I have this microphone that it's supposed to be a nicer microphone. It's not super expensive. It's kind of middle of the road, but it's, you know, it's a nicer-ish microphone, but seriously, every time I use it, something like that happens. So obviously I need to uh, invest in a new microphone, maybe for Christmas. Um, so yeah, anyway, sorry about that if that was difficult to hear. Um, you can always check out the show notes though, and I think they have all the resources in them. Uh, beyond that, I don't have too much of an update. I'm still working on uh, the same things that I was before, finishing up a couple of books and um, putting, you know, some finishing touches on my writing course. Pretty much same old, same old. We're just kind of getting through the end of 2020 here. Um, remember, if you haven't downloaded my freebie, it is um, the Ultimate Villainy Checklist, which tells you what kind of traits and functions your villain should have in your story to make sure that he or she is unforgettable. I've had people asking me about the old freebie that I used to do, which was my nine essential plot points that I use to plot out every single one of my stories. That is still available. So the nine essential plot points is at bit.ly forward slash nine plot points, the number nine and then spelled out plot points. And the villainy checklist is at bit.ly forward slash villain checklist. And I will have both of those links in the show notes if you ever want them. Okay, so make sure and grab those. They are free to download. Remember that if you are interested in working with me and helping you to reach your author goals, I coach authors through every stage of the journey. Um, so from the concept and the writing, putting everything you need to create a bestseller purposefully into your book and the um, somewhat of the editing, at least what you need to do. I don't actually edit, but, um, and then of course also marketing and daily writing habit and all of that so that you can um, really within 90 days create um, a system that works for you so that you can get a book done every 90 days and once again, create a sustainable author business. So if you're at all interested in hopping on a call with me, you can do that at the Calendly link in the show notes um, and get on a free call so that we can just kind of talk about it and discuss whether we would be a good fit or not. Um, make sure and join our free Facebook group, The Prolific Author. You can just search that on Facebook. And finally, uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on, make sure and subscribe so that you do not miss any future um, training videos or interviews. Okay, 
So that's pretty much all I have today. And let's hop right into the interview with Amanda. All right. So, hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. And you are in Australia, right? We were just talking about how early it is for you there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the sun still hasn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for getting up early for us. It's like mid-morning for me, so it's, you know, I'm good. But <laughs> you had to get up oh, kind of early for this. <laughs> Yep, no, I'm, I would love to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, for good. Me. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to have you. So um, why don't you start by just introducing yourself and, you know, who you are and what you do and what you write. Um, so I'm A.A. Warren, but you can call me Amanda. <laughs> I write speculative fiction for both children and adults. So I have the, my latest release is The Reluctant Wizard. And I've got a copyright here. That's not that one. I'll grab one out in a sec. I've got uh, the Heavy Dirty Soul. I've got um, Concealed Power. And I write, uh, publish anthologies. So uh, I've got 12 amazing authors. Uh, last year was the uh, Christmas Fantasy. So it was about Christmas and fantasy. And I wrote a story about Frankenstein. So I pushed <laughs> Frankenstein's monster into Santa Claus. This year we've got uh, the magic and fire, and uh, so it's it's really exploring magic and fire, the themes. Wow, those sound like really a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what, we, we just it's such a great community, and I wanted us to all kind of showcase our work together. Um, so I, I I just said, you know what, let's write. Uh, anthologies and I throw some uh, themes at them each year and they come back with some amazing stories and it's really odd to see how fantasy writers work because you get one theme um, but it's interpreted in so many different ways and you think, right. oh, mine blows each time I read a story because you know maybe they'll be too similar but they're not each book each story you go through in the book it's like a totally different world yeah, so um, I'm really enjoying the anthologies. So I think it, it definitely will be a yearly thing. Oh, good, good. So are those anthologies, are they geared toward more children's lit or toward adults? Um, no, they're definitely more towards adults, but okay. um, readers from like 12, 13 could definitely dive into them. We don't do things like erotica or heavy romance um, because fantasy uh, readers don't want that. Um, mm. If romance goes into fantasy it has to have a purpose. It has to have a meaning. It has to drive the plot forward. And, and so we're very conscious of, of, of diving into that genre. So there, the, there is like themes of war, but it's not too graphic. It's, it just really explores these fantastical worlds. Nice. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like those are great. So if anybody is writing in that genre and wants to maybe be included in one of your anthologies, how would they do that? Oh, so this reach out to me through my website. I don't put a call out at the moment um, because uh, we, we're a very cl uh, close-knit group. Um, and then I'll I just kind of vet each person who approaches me. And, and it's more um, community-minded based. So it's not um, a lot of anthologies call out for money and then just throw me a story and I'll publish it and all this. It's not like that. It's 
it's um you know we have stages we do all of the editing process in the book so i i sometimes i work as a structural editor as well um so i structurally edit each story with feedback um each other give each other feedback so beta readers um and then we have this amazing writer um editor who comes on board and she does the final edit so um when we're coming back when we get the themes and I throw and I show the cover and say, okay, this is what we're working with next year. Um, just in our little Facebook group, you can see how everybody's supporting one another and, and uh, um, like trying to help each other get through to those, um, those tricky twists in the ending and how do we get it into 5,000 words? Because <laughs> that's the hard part, you know, we, we're all writing right. stories at the 100,000 words. Now we've got 5,000 uh, theme to get through and yeah the world's massive the characters are diverse and it's 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 a, i find that if we can work on a formula base so you throw straight into the action and you know how are we going to end this action how are we going to come to a resolution um mm -hmm. so because there's not a lot of words to get through Right. Um, but I'm finding that the readers are like, oh, my God, this has to be a whole novel. How did you do that in this short space? So we're getting there where a lot of people are going, you know what, I have to write a novel now on this story. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and so there might be a lot of long novels eventually, but at the moment these are just teaser stories. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a skill. And I think it's harder for, like you said, like for high fantasy writers who tend to be super long-winded. I'm exactly yeah. that way. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard for me to write short stories. I've, I've done it a few times, but mine are usually more like seven to 8,000. I, I have a hard time getting it below that, you know? So yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. you there for sure. And, but it's, and I, even like originally we had 8,000 workout and we were finding people were diving in and to be the long winded. And that's why we cut it down and cut it down. We're like, no, you need to get to the guts of the story. Right. Um, you don't want to let people dive in and then stay in that world before we have to jump into the next story. So yeah, we found 5,000 is like that sweet spot of, wow, my mind's blown. Okay. Now what's the next story? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that's a really good um, exercise for writers to do, even if they're not in an anthology or not publishing it, just to force yourself to cut, it'll just make your writer, your writing tighter if you do it that. Is. And, you know. and I'm noticing now, like, um, originally before we started the anthologies, you know, I was reading the writer's work and I'm like, yep, they're fantastic writers. But then I've, I've put all these challenges on them to improve the writing and it's nothing against them. It's like, let's get this to be the best story we possibly can get. And yeah. now I'm reading their stories and thinking, wait, you're not the same writer. <laughs> right. Yeah, and even I'm not the same writer. I'm finding each book I'm just leapfrogging, going up and up and up, mm -hmm. thinking, and I read back some of the stuff and thinking, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's a wonderful um, way to just push our, um, even as a collective, our, our writing techniques. Writing yeah. It. Yeah, I'm so glad that I did this. I was thinking, how, how am I going to put all this work on top of what I already do? And I'm like, no, I don't care. Everything goes to those anthologies now. Yeah, well, it probably, I'm thinking it probably functions a little bit like a, um, what would you call that? Like a, like an immersive mastermind. You know what I mean? You can get a certain amount of um, skill and experience by just writing one book after another, of course. But if you really immerse yourself and really 
hardcore go at it like that and focus, you just kind of grow by leaps and bounds. You know, it probably has yeah. a similar effect on yeah, writers to definitely. do that. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I felt like I'm a little bit more hands on, like everyone else gets to beta read each other and, and that's totally optional. We don't put anything on people to do that. So it's nice to have feedback from all different perspectives, but I come in and I'm like, this is, this is, this is like, sometimes they change um, the structure or, um, and, and, and everything again, is optional. If they don't want to apply that, they don't have to, but sometimes you've got like this, they open arcs and they don't close them. And, and they're like, oh no, it's like, you've got to close this arc, you've got to wrap it up. And right. you know, even if you twist it in and I give examples on how to do that, because I'm structurally, I can see the story. I can see what's working and what needs to be fixed up. And so I kind of look like I'm the full on person who goes all of this. And, um, but in the end, if you apply it all, um, it just, the story takes this big leap, but then I'm, I've got to do 12 stories. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot of work, says, yeah. I'll, I'll be to read three and I'll be to read four. And I'm like, that's great. Okay. And then I get all these feedback and I'm like, I'm at 12. Yeah. <laughs> so by the wow. time we get to publication date, I'm a bit like, you know, a bit cross-eyed. So, so not only a structural <laughs> editor, I'm also a publisher. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you do the most work, but you probably grow the most from it because you, I have, you read the most yeah. stories, you know? Yeah. And, and um and i think that really shows in my latest release in the reluctant wizard um so i, I find that i'm doing less uh editing process like heavy dirty soul went through so many editing processes and i'm like surely it can't be this hard to write a book and <laughs> i i think I had four editors in the end and and one of the reasons why I didn't really find the right editor for me. So now with The Reluctant Wizard, I had one editing round, but I've got an amazing editor and it was just, I threw her the book in sections and then it comes back and I rework it and she reread it. She goes, no, great, great, great. And it was fantastic. And I'm finding that I'm doing less editing stages. I'm thinking different. I write differently. I don't rewrite as much, even though I still rewrite like five times. <laughs> I just don't rewrite like 30 times. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I'm finding that, you know, it's really starting to shine. And I'm, I've got to that point where, you know, when a writer goes, oh, okay, everything's clicking now. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's an easier process. Um, my process is a bit stupid in overall though, because I tend <laughs> to write, four or five books at a time and I'm researching six or seven books. Like my head's just all over the place. Um, probably that's why this looks all over the place. <laughs> but um, yeah, like it, it's, it, yeah, when I present a book, um, it's, it's becoming more received and more um, enjoyable and people are like, oh my God, give me the next book. I'm like, wait, <laughs> not right. just wait for the date. I set dates, they're, they're fine. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, stick to dates. I, I can do that. But when people go, what's going to be in the next book? I'm like, no, don't ask me that. I just can't <laughs> comprehend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, your writing process, you know, it's not stupid. It's what works for you and everybody's writing process is different. So as long as you're getting the books out there, you know, it doesn't really matter how it happens. Yeah, and, and when I was telling some other writers and big publishers and people like, here, what do I do? Like, I'm researching all these big stories that aren't coming out for another two years. 
but I'm writing everything that's coming out next year. And I've got all of these books coming out. And they're like, no, 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 no. You have to write one book at a time. Stick to <laughs> one book at a time. And I'm like, really? I'm doing this wrong? Okay, <laughs> all right. I'll... And so I, 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 I got rid of all the noise and I was like, right, one book at a time. And then I stopped writing and I stopped reading and I stopped researching. I even stopped cleaning my house and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? And it just it felt like I put handcuffs on my wrists and I was stuck. I, it just completely freezed my creative mojo, really. Um, so in the end, I was like, no, I, I physically can't write one book at a time. Um, so I now I let all the ideas come. I just accept it. I lean into it. And I've got folders full of um, research. And then I'm like, oh, this is a perfect idea. Quick, jot that down, stick it into another folder. Um, and I'm finding that the more ideas come to me, even if they're not um, necessarily a whole book idea, but they might, I might have three or four book ideas that eventually become one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of let my brain do what it needs to do and I accept it and I lean into it. And when people go, that's a crazy creative process. And I'm like, yes, it is. And, I'm <laughs> <laughs> totally and you probably love it, it right? <laughs> I do love it now. But before when I was letting people influence me, I was right. like, no, I should write one book at a time. No, I no, that's, that's a process for them, not me. Right. Yeah, that's, and that's great advice. You know, we need to lean into our strengths and, and just accept however we write and not try to make it what other people want it to be, you know? Yeah, and I find, like, you know, science only knows so much of the brain. They wouldn't want to pick my brain apart, like, like all overwhelming. And so when people tell other people, you know, this is what you have to do, it just, no, no. I, I, <laughs> you have to understand everybody's brain is different. Right. Um, we can't understand it from... From science perspective, just understand your own brain. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a lot like you. I I tend to work on. I write several different genres, and I tend to work it on multiple books at a time. And yeah, that sounds really familiar. Everything you do, I do to a certain yeah, extent. So. Yeah, I think it's a fantasy thing, isn't it? It's, it might be. That's true. Um, yeah. Fantasy has lots of characters and lots of worlds and lots of world buildings. So maybe it's just the way we're built. You know, really, really eclectic yeah. brains doing 30 things at a time so we want to write fantasy you know yeah that's right and it's, it's more like the macro down into the micro so you know yeah. one day we're looking at what made that road in the different types of minerals and mm-hmm. and other times we're looking at how to build foundations for a whole castle or something like that <laughs> you know, something massive and how does the weather system work and then the structure of the story and all sorts of things like you have to be in all different types of mind and able to apply fantasy it's not a moment by moment thing so right yeah, where other genres i think they can get away with it a little bit more like you know the crime thrillers it's about picking apart the bits and pieces but you don't have to worry about the structure of the weather <laughs> Right, right. Movement of the planet and things like that, where we have to. Sometimes I think about the movement of the planet before and the way that the sun is positioned before I can, um, you know, even think about what's going on on the ground roots. Um, right. So yeah, so I, I guess it just depends on how you think, really, and your mm-hmm. perception of what um, the story needs to be. Right. So let me ask you this: Do you write in first person at all, or do you do third person? Um, so I'm third person limited. Okay. So yeah, I look and 
I would love to be able to jump and do Omnitsman, but I do Fair Person Limited and uh, there are quite a lot of my books, especially Conceal Power, where I jump character per chapter. I think mm-hmm. actually Conceal Power, we end up losing all the chapters and you jump characters within the chapter. So you get three, chap- uh, three characters from three different points um, within one chapter and then you move again. Um, mm-hmm. to the next chapter. Uh, they weren't long enough to have their own chapters unless you wanted, like, I don't know, <laughs> 200 <Yeah>. chapters. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then um, the, I have other books that aren't released yet that um, I don't give one character, one chapter, and then move on to the next. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but I, I'm really focusing on that one character, really close. Uh, I also write from the... Um, their thoughts as well, a talent size, the, their inner, inner thoughts. So you are jumping, at, having this dialogue with the um, reader and it's not breaking the fourth wall, it's we're just jumping in and he's thinking to himself and we get that viewpoint. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it kind of becomes a dialogue, especially when he's pulling uh, in, in the relationship with Eli, um, kind of looks at the world he's assessing the world and he's kind of like not happy with the world and when something happens later on in the book he goes oh my god that reminds me of this and and it kind of pulls things in full circle really Mm, so i um I, i really like i think i felt really fell into third person limited naturally um, and especially like with the uh, anthology that's coming up, I wrote a story called The Masters of Fire and there's two brothers and they're heading towards this kingdom to, to rescue these last lot of um, brotherhood, the, the, the masters. And um, from this mad king, but you don't understand which one is the person, like because it's coming from both perspectives at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of like play on that. I'm like, well, who's who's on who and who's the main character here and who are we going to root for in, in, to come into the last lot of conflict? And and so I don't actually jump into their minds and you can't see what they're thinking. So it's a really <laughs> different process for me where I really love to see what people are thinking because it really shows the perception and how they're viewing the world. So, you know, when I present a world and the characters are walking through and they're interacting with this world, you know, you, you get this assumption that they're thinking this or they're feeling this or they're about to do this, but then you jump into their mind and they're thinking something completely different. Right. And you can see them being like a smart ass, but they've got this pure mask. Yeah, it really just breaks down a story. And it yeah. always makes me question in real life, you know, I'm having this conversation with somebody and I'm feeling like they're involved, but my gut instinct tells me something completely different. <laughs> and I'm standing there trying to assess the situation going, okay, I should reply like this, but I feel like I should reply something else. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I really kind of question the motives of um, characters and exactly, you know, just because you're presenting yourself like this, is that what you're actually thinking? So that's why I'm in third person limited. So I stay out here. I use those different camera angles to really zoom in and get everything. But at the same time, I get to see what's going on. in here. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and one of the reasons I asked, because we were talking about how people who write fantasy want to come from all different angles. I actually think it's harder for us to write first person. Because I'm the same way. I always write third person, usually limited. 
And I, I don't know if I just get bored with it or I feel like it's almost too, there's too many blinders on because you're just seeing from that one person's point of view. And, and that's great, but I want to see from everybody's point of view. So I'm kind yeah. of the same way. And I think that's something that's, yeah, by genre, if you are writing yeah. a story in a different genre that, that doesn't necessarily yeah. need that, romance. then, right. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking romance too. Um, yeah, romance needs that first person. And, yeah. and there are some great stories, um, like Lauren Kate's Fallen book was first story, her first person, pretty sure. Or maybe it was her first one. And that worked really well as a fantasy. But again, it was heavy romance. So right. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I thought about doing it. But then I put too much of myself in. And, and I don't normally do that. And I need that separation between the character because characters are so much more interesting than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, hold on, I wouldn't necessarily do that. And then, I, and then I'm thinking, oh, no, no, no. Hold, what am I doing here? So I, I have to separate. I have to. I don't need, it doesn't need to be about me. God, I'm worried. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, yeah, if somebody writes a high fantasy that's in first person, I mean, no judgment, you can make it work any way you want. And I think it'd be great. But I just think a certain kind of, like you're saying, a certain kind of personality just isn't given to it quite as much. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting just to see how different writers handle different stories. Yeah, and I think like with um, uh, people putting first person, they might that might be their strength, right. and they might not put themselves in it. Rather than what the hell are you talking about? But for me, <laughs> I was like, no, I, it's because it's the I, 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 and then, mm-hmm. and then like, I'm like, what about I? What about me? Like I only talk, <laughs> I never refer to myself in the third person. It's always I. So then that's where that blur becomes me getting sucked into the story. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. That's a, that's yeah, an interesting way to look at it. It's a small trigger, but it's there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Interesting way to put it. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your journey as a writer? How did you get into writing and kind of what was your, how did you get where you are today? Um, so I've been writing for 10 years. I can't believe it's 10 years. It hasn't felt like that long. Right. Um, and then even back then, I thought to myself, you know what? Um, I don't want to jump into this really quickly. I want to give myself 10 years. And, and um, so I was a mother of one beautiful hyperactive baby who hated to sleep. <laughs> and, uh, and she was, just, she's a life of the party and she's still like that now. Um, nobody has parties until she turns up. So um, I was a potter. I did pottery and yeah. it was very messy. It's a, a, a takes a long time to set up. It takes a long time to pack up. And when you've got a baby who doesn't want to sleep um, and, and when she does sleep, it was only for like little periods of time. It wasn't practical. So I gave it away and I just went back into design and drawing things that I could do that I um, could just stop and then look after the baby and then come back to. So, and, but I, mean, I think I filled so many notebooks and pads within a couple of weeks and then I was like, oh, I've got nothing else to draw now. Like, <laughs> I mean, how do I do this? I was, I was creatively burning out. Oh. So, you know, as a new mom, we burn out naturally, but as a creative, creative's got to create. And mm-hmm. I denied that in myself. So a friend threw a book at me and I started reading and thinking, I'm not a reader. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and she's like, read it, read it. So I was like, okay. And I read the book and it was Twilight. It was um, Stephanie Meyer's <laughs> Twilight. 
And at the end of the first book, it took me ages to read the first one because I was just wasn't used to reading. And at the end of the first one, I started having dreams, like really strong dreams. And, and, and it was repetitive, like dreaming the same thing over and over. I thought, all right, maybe if I write it down, then I'll stop dreaming. And, the, and that's what happened. So I got into book two and book three. And then by the end of book four, I, and I read that last book, which was heaps thicker than the first one, three times faster than I did in the first one. So <laughs> I was like, okay. And I was looking for other stories to really dive into. And yeah, and I started writing. And that was, that was the bug that got me. So, and it yeah. was fantastic because I could read at night. And during the day when she was sleeping, I was like brainstorming and mapping and doing things. Um, and then it was just kind of a journey of having children, studying at uni. I went and studied literature at uni. Um, and just kind of, I found that uni is a great way to learn about other books and how to analyze books. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so I kind of feel like all of the writing things was me putting in all of the extra work at home and diving in and doing everything possibly wrong and trying to backtrack <laughs> and redo it and backtrack and redo it. And so it probably came to writing a lot harder than other people. I don't have that natural thing where I write a sentence and go, wow, it's so poetic. No, I've had to do the whole slog of this is crap, rewrite, crap, rewrite, crap. And that's probably why I wrote Heavy Dirty Soul 30 times. But it was a story I was adamant to get through and I did it. And um, yeah. it was a story that scared me. So I knew I had to, had to write it. And so, yeah, yeah I, love that. I have just kind of um, gone out and networked. So I think when I, I felt comfortable in my writing to share it with people, I went out and met all these writers and developed my own community, um, local community, because we didn't have a writers club. Um, so I was like, right, I'm going to make one. And all these people flocked and it was amazing. So I've been, uh, I find that, when, you know, writers are so isolated and, um, and you know, <laughs> COVID, like that's so normal now. <laughs> but pre-COVID, right. it wasn't normal. So yeah. I kind of felt like we're having these communities, finding communities that already exist worldwide. We've got all these amazing writers right around the world that I connect with every single day. And mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's isolating because sometimes you get stuck on something and you think, what is wrong with me? Why can't I think? Or I'm just feeling flat or, you know, and you feel like you might be getting a bit sick and it's like, oh, I don't want to write, but I've got a deadline and this editor's desperate for my next book. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, so you kind of lean on these people and you say, look, you know, I'm just having a rough day today and they pick me up and they're fantastic. And then I get back and I'm like, wow, I just wrote 5,000 words. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's great. It's like, it's it great community. And, and um, even though, you know, the four walls can feel like they're coming in on me sometimes, I, I feel very connected to the world. I feel like I have a purpose now. So, yeah, I um, coming into writing as was a very long 10-year journey, but um, I found that I learned so much. And giving myself 10 years to develop was the best thing to do. I, I wouldn't be mm -hmm. so confident now if I didn't have all of that knowledge and just diving into things like archaeology and history and um, space and all of these other things which you know when you go to uni and they say you know you need to stick to your subjects and don't branch out because there's so much in those subjects 
I mean, for a writer, you need to be a jack of all trades and master of writing. You don't sure. need to be a master of everything. So, yeah, so I've been um, definitely researching <laughs> all my books behind me. There's plenty more, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you just said like four things right there that I want to pull out that I just absolutely yeah. loved. Um, well, first of all, you said that you are not as natural at it as most people. I think you'd be surprised. Most people, even people who are really avid readers, yeah. they tend to not be, I mean, they can be natural storytellers, but writing is different than storytelling. And so, yeah. I, I don't know, I find that writers, they think because they know what a hero is and they know what a villain is and they know what a climax is, but they can just write and they kind of don't yeah. realize that they need more story craft than that. So yeah. you're, you're really not any different than anybody else, I promise. Yeah, it's not a natural <laughs> thing. And I think it comes down to me being an artist as a child. Like I was always surrounded by paint and I was painting canvases, but I had the television on and I was always putting movies on and I didn't care if I watched that same movie 6,000 times. Like I still do that to this day. I'm like, yeah. oh, canvases on, movies on. And I think unconsciously I was so, because I wasn't watching TV, I was just listening to TV. Right. And I was listening to that story structure. So, and I love movies. I still love movies. My kids love movies. Like we just always, there's movies. And uh-huh. uh, we're soaking in that story structure. I can hear it unconsciously. So when I read somebody's book and I do um, structural editing, I'm like, this is a great story. I love these characters in these worlds but there's something wrong with the structure. I can't hear that story story. And that's where uh-huh. I can kind of like pick apart the world and then rebuild it for them and, and show them like, okay, this is, this is what right. has to happen to get in this twist, to get to this point. And it's, and, and I don't think if I had, and you know, a lot of people made fun of me because I was this art kid that sat in the lounge room, constantly a mess. And my mom would clean up the house and boom, there's me the mess again. <laughs> it's just like, Five minutes, Amanda, please, just clean the house, clean for five minutes. I'm like, yeah, but there's art in this movie, and I have to do this. And I didn't know why I had to do this, but it was like downloading story structure. So I had that in my blood, and then when I came to writing, it was more about getting the world, getting, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, that I think, came naturally for me, the writing. (laughs) It was garbage. (laughs) Yeah, it's harder. Well, and I really love that you said um, that you you had to write the thing that you were afraid to write. Can you build on that? Is, is it always important to write the thing you're afraid of writing? Yeah, look, I, I wrote a book called Blackout Sun, and that was my first book, and it was me putting myself into the book. So <laughs> I couldn't even think of a character's name. That's how great I was. <laughs> so I... Um, I found that, you know, I was getting comfortable rewriting the same stories and, and I had this idea for Ivy and she's a witch and I really didn't know about the history of witchcraft. I didn't know about, you know, a lot of things about history, but the problem with Heavy Dirty Soul is it doesn't have a conventional arc. It has a loop and it loops like this. Mm-hmm. And, it, and so from a story base, that it's not something that you should do. So what happens was in um, Ivy starts in the 1500s and she's burned at the stake. And during that time, she curses the entire world and she then dies and reincarnates into a hundred years later into a different culture where she kind of faces the same similar situation where she's being accused of something 
and she's assassinated or she's murdered or something else, again, we repeat that loop. And, mm-hmm. and from a structural base, that's like, <laughs> don't do that. Like, don't keep repeating the same thing. But we're going from different culture, 100 years' time, with different characters, except Ivy and her love interest, uh, Thomas, are consistent throughout the lot. Ivy doesn't have the gift of memory, so she repeats these mistakes. But Thomas, who we stick with as our main point of view for most of the book, he he has the curse of memory. So so we get to carry that through. And then it finishes in the future in an underworld water city. So it it doesn't have the conventional makeup of a story. And that petrified me. And the whole idea of a different culture, 100 years apart, <laughs> the research was like, it was horrible. Hence why I had to have so many editors. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't a conventional story. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's quite, it just pushes into the literary form as well. So I had um, a university um, teacher who's like, you know, come and do your masters and do a literary book. And I'm like, literary, I don't want to write literary. And then I I wrote a literary book. (laughs) So it, it, it does push out beyond genre. It pushes the story structure. It, it, it's very different. Um, But at the same time, It was the story that scared me because I didn't think I would be able to pull it off. And I did it. It wasn't as good. rewrote it. Did it again. I really dived into what it meant to live in that time and kind of be there and experience it. And um, before these complications kick in and we repeat it and it starts to become a nightmare. Um, And and, and then so, yeah, it kind of pulled in a bit of a horror because it's not a horror as in... Um, you know, it's scary and it's these superficial things. It's, oh, my God, I'm repeating my life here. And then, mm-hmm. I, oh, no, I'm definitely not repeating everything so different. Wait, no, we're repeating again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I meant by it. the story that scares you is, you know, you have to, if, if you can pull it off, you can prove to yourself that you can write. Yeah, for sure. That's, just, that's, that's yeah. a really great takeaway. So what kind yeah. of what kind of return did you get on that? I was going to ask you that. Like, I mean, you did prove to yourself that you could write it obviously, but what other rewards did you get from completing that? Um, so I, I find that like if people read heavy dirty soul first, they, they do jump into the other books and go, yep, it's a quite easy transition. But if you start with the other books and come to heavy dirty soul, (laughs) it's like, okay, what's going on here? It's so different. Um, (laughs) The, the reviews have come back really well and I find that um, people with more of a literature background will appreciate it more. I, it's not a book that I go around recommending, actually. <laughs> the thing is, if you can't get through the first chapter, um, I completely understand. And it's very graphic. So when she is burnt from the stake, we I wrote it from a first person perspective in that chapter so we really dive into what it's like to be burned alive but at the same time I had to keep her alive to in order to um, get that curse rolling so so in the way that the body burns is you know you the skin dries out it it breaks 
the pus comes through and that acts like fuel. So I kind of wrote her as like this human candlestick that would die in order to project the curse and be powerful enough to curse. Mm. Um, so it is graphic because, I mean, how many stories do you see from it? We see these witches burning on the stake, but we have that we are the audience. We're Right. So putting that point of view and we're looking out at the the audience and the people who are there and the the witnesses it then it puts that reader into an uncomfortable position right so I find that a few people are like this is great storytelling but i couldn't get past the first chapter <laughs> i totally get that it was very graphic it was very um like full on um, and especially it's a quite a contrast from her normal life if she's in there she's got some a love interest and all these people are like you know, she's struggling to fit in type of thing. But then, then you've got this horrific graph, uh, death scene. So it was, it was just like a story that it had to be written. It's done. Yeah. I'll never write a story like that again. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's out in the world. And, um, and I know I totally understand if people can't get to that one. But uh, yeah, um, I have easier stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, I almost yeah. wonder, I mean, because it's, because it's kind of cross genre that way, it's probably never going to, it's not going to have huge sales, but I mean, you could peddle it oh. to adjacent genres. I mean, I wonder if dark fantasy readers would like it more or even uh, yeah. historical readers that like fantasy, you know, things like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing with speculative fiction is that we are across genres and mm -hmm. we don't have that wonderful marketing platform of Amazon right. to say that's spec. Um, unfortunately, I, because we are, depending on each speculative writer is different but you know we really push out of those genres and we it's it's, it's the balloon of all of these other subgenres. so when you're diving into fantasy or or just horror you know you're coming from the spec and you're going down when we jump right. back up to the spec we can tap into whatever we need and make that um it's whatever the story needs you you pull it in and you make it work um, and, and that's the best thing. Or some people only will work with two or three, maybe four genres and you'll have your main one and then you just kind of like tack on your smaller ones. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it just depends. And, and we have no way of marketing these books. <laughs> we can say, yes, it's a little bit like this. Yes, it's a little bit like that. But as, and then you're like, oh, it's kind of, it's easier to say, it's like this book and that book. And then you go, and then a little bit of other books. <laughs> because, <laughs> It's not a, a like an A plus B equals C when it comes right. to marketing. It's yes, spec fic's hard to to say this is a book written for itself. I <laughs> feel <laughs> <you> like it. <laughs> so, I mean, on that subject, do you have any marketing tactics that have worked really well for you, or had, what is your go-to to market your books? Um, so I think it's like the publishing often, um, when I, mm. I did two books in the first year, two books in the second, and I'm aiming for eight next year, um, nice. whether I achieve that or not, <laughs> <laughs> um, eight is an impossible number, but I, I think I can get there. So, um, I think with publishing often and just interacting with readers, I'm really bad with social media. Like mm -hmm. I try and do one post a day, but then there'll be like a week or two where I haven't posted and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it's not because I'm trying to be antisocial. <laughs> just, I like dive into these, but I do this, uh, go into the zone where yeah. um, I forget that time exists and I have children to feed and I'm like, where? writing I, I need to dive back out and <laughs> do uh life 
But um, and then you forget things like social media. So it, it's kind of a combination of everything. I, I do have a newsletter. I'm really bad at like keeping up with that as well. Um, but for me, I'm a very, very visual person. And that's why all my book covers are very visual. My author book is quite visual. Um, so I really put a lot more effort into my website because um, there's, there's something really appealing when you click on a website and you're like, like this and all the visuals just kind of get you and um and i'm not quite a big fan of the stock photos that a lot of people are, are going for it's just i feel like there's this generic feel to them so mm -hmm. i kind of pull away if, if you've got books and, and and websites and quite bland like if you look at stephen king's website it's quite bland and you mm -hmm. think oh yeah it's full of information yes i'll get the information that i want but at the same time i've got no reason to come back and look at that because i don't feel you know <laughs> right i don't feel like i'm coming to see anything i'm just coming to read what i need to get so um I, yeah i i really advocate for a fantastic website nice yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if our if our book covers need to pop to catch attention, then our websites probably should too. Yeah, yeah, and look, a lot of people's um, book covers can it just has to work on their genre and what they're achieving. But I, from the very beginning when I was kind of thinking, okay, how am I going to present myself and what am I doing here? Um, yeah, I really was. I'm very particular on a book cover, which is funny enough. A lot of writers can't write their story without them having a title. I need a whole book cover. I need, I have to have that book. <laughs> I need to know what visuals I'm working with. And when you read through, you'll have that feel to the book cover because there's nothing worse than going, I love that book at the bookstore. You pick it up, you go, oh, I need to read this story. This visual art is amazing. And then you're like, that story is nothing like that cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I don't like that. So I, um, for The Reluctant Wizard, I had that made. And that's my son, my middle child on the cover. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, I, I really couldn't find a cover for it. And I kind of knew what I needed from it. I had drafted the story. I'd sent the photos off. And then it came back. Once I saw the throne, I was then able to in the rewrite, put all of those little elements and it just, and it's very minute, very subtle, the color scheme. So when you see that color, then you go into this world, you've got that visual already there and you kind of then wash it into the story. And, um, and that's how I kind of work with covers. So covers are very important for me. Um, so is my author portrait. Um, that's why it's not the generic, <laughs> the, <laughs> the generic one. Um, but um, yeah, and I feel like that, that's, you know, I think that's probably one of the most underestimated um, things that we can do as, as an author and a publisher is those covers. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, uh, it does come down to money. Um, I think J.K. Rowling's new Harry Potter book covers are amazing because they're bringing on artists now. Where they've always had these artists, but they're always like, oh, yeah, they're nice covers, they're nice covers. But then you get that moment where you go, wow, that's an amazing cover. <laughs> they're the covers that I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, we are kind of running short of time here. We'll probably wrap up, but what advice do you have for other authors or aspiring authors? Oh, keep writing, head down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's great to hear other people's advice and, uh, 
But at the same time, you know, you've got to make up your own advice, figure out what works for you, what's important for you. But um, yeah, I, I, in the end, I end up making my own advice and then sticking it to that. And that I read back on it about five years later and I find that it's, um, it's more important than the advice that I got from somebody else. So make mm. your own advice. Yeah, yeah, I think that's super important. So thank you for that. All right, well, thanks for being on the show today. I will um, link to your book so people can see the cover since we talked about it in the show notes. And yeah, thanks so much for being on. No, thank you. Yeah, good luck with your writing. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.